Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Meta's Nicola Mendelssohn. She'll talk about resilience and making the impact only you can. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. Control what you can control. Stop worrying about everybody, everything else that's out there. There's lots of other people that are going to do that. And actually, those things can be quite paralyzing. So you focus on what you can do, and that's how we'll all move forwards together. In 2016, Nicola Mendelssohn was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma, an incurable blood cancer. This diagnosis was a shock and turned her day-to-day upside down. But it also reinforced for her a key philosophy, control what you can control. It's a way she guides her teams at Meta, reminding her staff to focus on areas where only they can make the biggest impact. And it's a way she builds support for the thousands of people each year diagnosed with this disease. In fact, seeing the need for a group that would put patients and doctors and scientists together both for support and to seek a cure, she'd eventually found the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation in 2019. I talked to Nicola about this and a host of other experiences that have shaped her as a leader in her 30 years of experience in advertising, marketing, and technology, as well as her current role as head of Global Business Group at Meta. She shared how she's helped create opportunities for women entrepreneurs and the innovative ways she's leveraged virtual reality during COVID for remote meetings. She talked about all this, but first, she'll tell us more about the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation. I'll let her get started. I founded the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation in November 2019. And I did it because um, I was actually diagnosed with follicular lymphoma, which is an incurable non-Hodgkin's blood cancer in November 16. And I guess at that time, I naively thought that, well, with all the changes and developments in science, that maybe there will be a cure in the not too distant future. But actually, the more I got to understand my illness and, you know, the therapies that were being offered, the more I understood that Sometimes it takes somebody to kind of galvanize people together, crash heads together, raise some funds and get some awareness for something in order that it can happen. And actually, there'd never been a charity anywhere in the world for follicular lymphoma. So I started it off. Um, At the same time, we were creating this group on Facebook where we were bringing together follicular lymphoma patients. And literally just this week, we've hit 10,000 patients, which is an extraordinary number for a rare cancer and something that I'm very proud of working with my um, my, the founder, uh, a lady called Nikki in Australia. But the aim of the foundation is to get out of the charity business as quickly as possible because we want to find a cure. And so that's what all the focus is on is about raising funds, raising awareness, partnering with um, biotech, with pharma, with clinicians around the world, and being that voice of the patient and funding things. And we literally just uh, at the back end of 2022, we put out our first 2 million funding into four different projects around the world that will hopefully accelerate getting towards that cure. I've read that during COVID, because you were immunocompromised, a lot of time you needed to to work remotely, but that you guys leveraged different types of technologies than maybe people are are familiar with when it comes to that. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, how that worked? One of the consequences of having something like a, a blood cancer was that the vaccines didn't actually work on people like me. And so not only I, but my family had to be very careful in terms of who we came into contact with. And actually for about 18 months, we really didn't 
see anybody else. And so I'm unbelievably grateful, one, to the scientists that eventually made a drug called Evusheld by AstraZeneca that was created for immunocompromised people so we could get back out and about. But two, that I could leverage technology. And I think if we think about what the pandemic would have been like, Without all the access to technology that we have, it would have been very difficult. And then you add on top that, you know, Meta had created the Quest, which is a much more immersive experience where you can harness VR. And we have a product called um, Horizon Workrooms where you can actually go in and have a virtual meeting. So my team is a global team, so we can come from all over the world. And it's so much more immersive to sit around a table, to ideate together. When you look left and somebody's talking to the left, everybody looks in that direction. Yeah. You really have that feeling of presence when you're together. So yes, my uh, my weekly meetings through the pandemic were, were held in our virtual VR workrooms dressed as avatars. So uh, sort of being on the forefront of that type of remote work, um, are there any sort of best practices or things that, you know, like, hey, you know, if people are going to uh, do this eventually, yeah, they should think about this or that? Yeah, I definitely think you should think how you want to look. So <laughs> exactly. style your avatar. And actually, yeah. we had a lot of fun with that. So actually, the, you don't have to look the same as you do in real world. That's one of the things people do. So we have a guy um, that works who's bald. Actually, he used to rock up with all manner of different hairstyles because it was yeah. quite fun, a bit of a break the ice in, in a different way. But yeah, no, as, as a company, Meta is very much embracing new ways of working, the future of work. I think, you know, in many ways, the world of work hadn't changed since the industrial area, you know, very much based on, you know, the factory life. And now we see so many different possibilities in terms of how we come together. Is it physical? Is it virtual? Is it in virtual reality? So, we see very much that we're still in a period of learning as a company, and I think that's a really exciting place to be. Are there other things that you could potentially see people using VR for maybe 10 years from now uh, when it comes to the workplace? Yes, and actually we're already seeing some of it. So we recently announced at uh, our Connect conference that we have a partnership now with Microsoft and also Accenture. You know, if you think about how Microsoft disrupted the world of work with Office, with Windows. And then you also see the power of Accenture coming in. You know, this is really exciting things that you can now get into uh, with, with Quest. And we're seeing already today so many different types of businesses actually embracing and utilizing VR. They're using it for productivity. We're seeing a huge amount of usage from uh, education. Organizations coming together, we see diversity training, we've seen Companies like Hilton actually doing uh, hospitality training. So this is a really exciting thing. We've seen Nestle embracing shelf stacking and seeing different ways that they can use it. So actually, we're seeing it already today. World of Health, surgeons are practicing. Yeah. Much better to practice in VR, right? <laughs> and be able to perfect those techniques. So yeah, really seeing a, a good uptake. In part because you've got that feeling of presence. In part because you can have that immersion in part because you can be more creative uh, and also that fostering that sense of community at the heart of it. Companies that you know, they're not familiar with it yet uh, and maybe they're a little hesitant because they're not sure how they would use it, um, how to make the case to other, others so that they can invest in it. You know, um, what's your advice to them? Well, first thing I would say is try it. Yeah. Uh, and certainly at, at the WEF this week, we, you know, we've had lots of people coming into the Meta house to be able to get on there and try it. And we've got the, the latest version, the Quest Pro, which actually has mixed reality. Now, what's mixed reality? The people are saying that haven't even tried it yet. Yeah. This is the ability not to just to be in a virtual, but you can actually intersperse and see what's going on around you as well. 
back in the real world. And here's the great benefit of that. If you want to grab your coffee, you're not fumbling around and looking where the coffee is. You can actually intersperse and see through. But it has so many other applications, which are really exciting. So I think get involved with it, learn and listen and see what other companies are doing. So those are a couple of things that I would uh, definitely start with. At the, the heart of you being able to have this uh, I mean, remote, but also you know, uh, VR experience um, is empathy, right? Uh, it was a, a difficult time. People needed flexibility for a, a variety of different reasons. Well, what do you think people still you know, need to make sure that they don't overlook? Look, the last couple of years have been very difficult for, for people. Yeah. We've, we've gone through a global crisis, the likes of which none of us have ever seen yeah. uh, in our lifetimes. And so I think you know, the leaders that stood up were the ones that led with empathy. I think one of the things as we're building out the metaverse, one of the things we've been very conscious about is making sure that it's a place for everyone. And remember, we're not the only company that's going to be building the metaverse. So many different companies are going to come together. But from our side and the responsibility that we take, we're making sure that we're building in diversity and equity and inclusion right into the heart of it. And actually, we joked about the avatars before, but actually we have a quintillion different versions of avatars that everyone coming on can find the version of themselves um, that they want to be. And you think how different that is to how things were just a few years ago. That's the advances in technology, yes, but it's also having leaders leading with empathy and being deliberate and understanding that if you don't build DEI in from the beginning, yeah. then it will get overlooked. And you know, I'm really proud of some of the work we're doing in that area. Tell me about She Means Business. So She Means Business is something that we launched back in 2016. And it was based on the observation that for many reasons, women don't set up businesses in the same way that men do. And what the wonderful thing about the internet and platforms like Facebook and Instagram allow is an, is an equity that anybody can set up a business now uh, in a different way. And so this is a whole training program that we created that now has trained over a million and a half women in over 38 different countries to give them digital skills, to give them networking opportunities, and to actually help with financial literacy. And it's very much making sure that we're listening to that community uh, and giving them the tools that they need in order to go out and create successful businesses at at least the same rate that the men are doing. What are some of these uh, sort of uh, practical skills that this training is, is, is helping them and exposing them to? Yeah. So one of the biggest things is, you know, if you think about how the world of trade used to be, you know, if you had, a, if you were a small business owner, you were very much reliant on the people that would come past you on the high street. Whereas now you can actually set up a business from anywhere in the world with just a mobile phone. And technologies like ours allowed you to do personalized marketing at scale. And actually, you might have a customer that is in the local area, but they might also have a similarity with someone in different countries around the world. So it allows you to get to the customers that really matter to you and to utilize the best creative ways in order to do that. Women entrepreneurs, what are the, maybe the specific needs that they have uh, that this training helps uh, to account for? Yeah, so a, a number of different things. One is the fact that having a relatable role model. It's not, a, it's not enough to see a CEO of a great big Fortune 500 company, actually having someone that's kind of closer in age to you, maybe in a similar business or trade and can see that they got there, that's important. Access to capital always comes up. Encouragement is also a really big one. Just having people around you going, come on, you can do this, that, that you've got this. And it's not like they're not thinking about having ideas. The women have got those ideas. It's that combination of those things. And then knowing where they can go and find, um, you know, find the customers that, you know, that's the thing that kind of comes together that I'm really proud that our platforms can play a really good role in.
one of the themes of this particular Davos is just this idea of, you know, resilience, given all the different crises we have simultaneously, the uh, economic crisis, there is a climate crisis, there's an energy crisis, there's a conflict in the Ukraine, uh, there's all these things, you know, how can leaders be resilient in, in a time like this? What's what's needed most? So I think there's a few things. And, you know, picking up the atmosphere in terms of what's going on, it's a question I'm asking everybody when I'm meeting with them as well. Here's what we know. The only certainty is uncertainty. If we look back a year ago, we didn't envisage that. And I think that's been very difficult to navigate through for, for many to be able to navigate through that. As we start this year, we know that all that uncertainty is out there, which actually gives a greater confidence. And I think, you know, the resilient chops, we've all developed some more muscles in this area. So I think that that has also been important. We've seen different people doing different scenario plannings, but I'm hearing a cautious optimism here this week. And I think that that's a good thing coming out because we can also talk ourselves into different scenarios. And so I think cautious optimism is a good mood. What should these resilient leaders be prioritizing, right? What, in your mind, is the one thing that they should be making sure that they do uh, despite all of this disruption and uh, simultaneous chaos? Yeah, so definitely deeds, not action. And I'm also seeing more companies coming together now and actually wanting to partner and really, truly partner against all of these different crises. Where, where can we pull resources together? We're all looking to the net, the same North Stars. Where are things not competitive advantage and actually just the right thing to do and good things to do? So I'm very encouraged by some of the conversations that I've been seeing and witnessing and being a part of in terms of how we can all move forward together, which is really at the heart of the West. Everybody has hit a, a, a wall where they're not sure how they're going to move forward. Uh, they do, <laughs> but uh, uh, they, 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 there's a moment where they're not sure. What's a moment like that for you that sort of showed your own resilience and, and how did you move through it? Yeah, so I think for me, it's about breaking it down and really thinking through what are the things that you can control? Because I think from a leadership position, you need to continue to make decisions and you need to continue to move forwards in order that everybody that's working with you can operate and do those same things as well. So I talk about that a lot with my teams. Control what you can control. Stop worrying about everybody, everything else that's out there. There's lots of other people that are going to do that. And actually, those things can be quite paralyzing. So you focus on what you can do. And that's how we'll all move forwards together. Um, and also, as somebody who was, you know, dealing with uh, the prize diagnosis, was there a point there that you, you know, were trying to figure out how you're going to balance this? How are you going to manage all of your responsibilities? Everything, you know, was was there a point there that you, you know, needed to um, uh, have a turning point uh, in in how you you reacted and move forward? Yeah, very much so. So I'd, I'd gone from jumping on planes and going to business meetings and being really clear about what my diary looked like for the next six yeah. months, year. And then meeting with a doctor who said, no, actually, your diary is now mine. I'm now in charge. And so it became from all these great, big, grandiose plans to very much more now in the moment. What do I need to do to go from one day to another, especially when I was going through treatment, which, you know, I'm very grateful that my, my treatment did work for me at that time. So that, that was a really good thing. But sometimes you have to think very large, but sometimes you just got to go day by day, depending on where the situation is. And, you know, take stock. I, I'm also somebody that practices gratitude. Yeah. And so I'm actually feeling very joyful being here this week because, you know, for a good almost two years, I wasn't able to get out, wasn't able to go and see people and be around people. And so just having that connection again is just unbelievably energizing. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. How have you changed as a leader in your career? 
Oh, that's a, that's a huge question. Well, of course, huge uh, amounts. You grow in confidence, you have experiences, you draw on those experiences. I think you trust your instincts more. I learned to use my voice more. You know, when, when I was younger in career, I would have all these conversations in my head that were just exhausting in terms of, um, you know, should I do that? Should I not do that? Should I speak up? Should I share an opinion? And of course, the answer is yes, do all those things. You, you should. And, you know, just making sure that I seizing the opportunities that were out there. I think things become more instinctive the, uh, the older you get. Do you have a book that you recommend? Anything by Adam Grant. Originals, option B, give and take, all, all gives and take, all of those. I absolutely, I just think he's so inspirational and also very practical. There's so much of his work that actually I've taken into when I'm working with my own teams. Um, so, yeah, any of those. Is there a piece of advice that you've always been grateful for? Yes, definitely. Um, so many. Uh, two things. Um, this one's a fun one, which is that you can't cry and whistle. So sometimes it can all get a little bit much. And if you whistle, I promise you, you can't cry at the same time. Yeah. But the other one um, is, is, it's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, actually, which is do the things you think you cannot do. Yeah. Because when you do those things, you know, they're terrifying, but that's when you learn the most. That's when you push yourself. And then when you look back, you go, Yeah, I did that and I was proud. That was Nicola Mendelssohn. Thanks to her and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast is available at weth.ch slash podcasts. If you liked that episode, check out episode 75 when I talked to Caroline Casey, the founder of nonprofit The Valuable 500, an organization that represents 22 million workers worldwide focused on ending disability exclusion. It's an inspiring conversation about what motivates her and the hard lessons she's learned firsthand as a founder. Anyone building something from scratch can benefit from her wisdom. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer, Jarrett Johansson as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lacina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.